I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One of the plans, and I don't know if it's working like I want it to, but one of the plans about the show was to use a medium, the food and travel show, docu-series, to change who people think are heroes. I really wanted to show the hardworking people who make our meals, and even before that, who harvest our food, produce our food. I wanted to sort of raise them up, shine a light on the work that they do. You know, there's a lot of talk out there in the world right now, billionaires, Elon Musk. Like, you're just sitting there, you're like, not particularly picking on him, but I will particularly pick on him. You know, he was raised by a billionaire copper family in Australia. And yes, do billionaires begat billionaires? Yes. But I think it's more interesting to see, you know, a hardworking family who are out on a banca in the Philippines. You know, fishermen, it's the most dangerous job in the world. More fishermen die in the world than any other. I think 25,000 fishermen die per year fishing. And to go out on a boat that they've built themselves, deep sea fishing, to send food not only to the Philippines, but to the EU, and to feed the rest of the world, talk about bravery and people you should really respect. I hope the show's doing that. I hope people turn it on. They think they're just going to watch another old, like, oh, I'm going to watch people eat and a little bit of food porn. And there is that, too. We definitely have one of my producers does Chef's Table. So we we learn from them the beauty of food production. But hopefully people are uh, are learning about heroes that they didn't think about before. 
How you day, how you day, that was the voice of David Moscow. Today's episode is about understanding how food plays an integral role in our culture. David is someone who has explored food culture all over the world, and we talk about what he's learned, how he feels like food can be this connecting force that we have so lost across the decades and centuries. In this episode, he also discusses how he came to find out about food and what he's learned from being a host of From Scratch, which is an amazing show that each of you can watch if you click the links in the show notes. We're certainly at an interesting time, and finding those moments that have always been connecting forces for us, I think is going to be crucial for us to be able to get through the nuances of today's world. Food is one of those forces, and I'm very curious to see if this episode will get each of you to start covering the hidden stories that you eat. Enjoy the episode. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of As Told by Nomads. And today's guest is David Moscow. Now, David is the creator, executive producer, and host of From Scratch. David made his theme filter debut at the age of 13 in Big. If some of you are cinephiles, you remember he was starring as the young Tom Hanks. And soon after, he starred with Kristen Bale in Newsies, and he has appeared in dozens of films, TV shows, and theater productions over a 35-year career. Today... We're going to be discussing his TV show and new book, From Scratch, Adventures in Harvesting, Hunting, Fishing, and Foraging on a Fragile Planet, which explores our planet's complex and interconnected food supply, showing us not only where our food comes from, but also why it matters and how we need to rethink our relationship with our planet. Welcome to the show, David. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. The pleasure is mine. So how does a man from New York decide to tour the world and explore food cultures? Yeah. So, the, you know, I grew up in the city and, and then spent some time my childhood in Los Angeles when I was doing Newsies or working. But my summers were spent with my cousins in like Utah and Montana. So I would get a glimpse of fishing with grandpa or even in the city. You know, one of the things as a city kid, you go upstate and go apple picking or pumpkins or whatever. And I realized in my 40s that it had been a long time since I had done any of that kind of stuff that I'd really gotten wrapped up in sort of city life and the expectations of, you know, the hustle and the bustle. I missed it. I realized that the food that I was eating, I was disconnected from it when, you know, I knew the food is like, you know, I go to the supermarket, my meat is wrapped in plastic or somebody serves me a plate at a restaurant, but where it came from, I had no clue. And at the same time, I felt like I was unconsciously consuming I was just eating stuff. I would go, you know, drive through a drive through, grab something in a paper bag, sit there in the car, shove it in my mouth. So I wanted to figure out as a city person, whether or not I could get back to that, whether I could learn to do all these things, just the, you know, the mundane fun stuff of like apple picking, but then also like, how do you harvest wheat? How do you make bread? Could I make fish sauce? And the initial one, it was going to be tacos and a margarita. So I was going to learn how to make tequila and it was going to be a documentary. And my agent at the time said, you know, he was working with Bourdain and they pitched it to Bourdain's company. And Bourdain's company was like, if you turn this into a series where you saw different food cultures every week and did a dish, then that would be something we'd be interested in. And we were like, why not? I get to go around the world and eat great food. But it got more complicated than that, as the book talks about. It's interesting hearing you say that because I'm imagining you brought up tacos. Tequila. Was it Mexico? 
It was Mexico. Yeah. The reason why I said it's interesting is it's something that happens when you do that word association. I didn't know about that, but I was thinking he's talking about all these things that are native to Mexico. I can only imagine what the show will be like if people move beyond that association and then figure out why tequila is so important to a particular culture. What is it about tacos that makes something authentic as well? So I guess it leads me down to this question of what have you learned as you've traveled around the world? What is food culture taught you about the culture of the countries that you've been in? Well, I mean, food is is such a huge part of the community. Aside from the fact that everybody comes to the table together to eat, but you're also sort of defined a lot of ways by the food that you eat. Just thinking, you know, we've been having a large discussion and we talk about it in the book around consuming meat or being vegetarian or vegan. And those are their own communities. So I do eat meat and it's a battle that's going on while making the show because I actually have to slaughter my own animals in a lot of the recipes. But I I have a really incredible respect for vegans now because it's hard. They're brave. They're stepping out of the larger community. They're saying, no, because of my morals, I'm not going to do this. And that removes them from a lot of tables, right? It removes them probably from their family's table. A lot of times it's brave what they do. And ethically, it's great. My community, my family are meat eaters. And to step away completely from that is not something that I want to do. But I do want to have a different relationship with the meat that I eat. And so that's come about. And we talk about it in the book. You know, I think that uh, we overconsume animals. You know, on my thumbnail sketch, basically, if I ate two animals a day from when I was a kid to today, that's about 35,000 animals. That's crazy. Oh my gosh, 35,000. Yeah. And that doesn't even include like the all you can eat Vegas buffets. It doesn't include the Italian subs with oh, all yeah. the. Yeah, you don't know it. Yeah, you don't know. <laughs> well, you say you're from New York. You got a lot of food trucks here. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> you never know where right, those things are going. I think it's a fascinating insight into the human experience when you see the relationship that people have with food. When we were younger, a lot of times, depending on the culture you have, it's a very big deal for you to have that dinner. And now you say your parents, I don't know if your kids do the thing that I do now where you just take your meal on the go or you're eating in your room or you're randomly somewhere. But it's that community in some cultures is not as prevalent. Did you notice the community still stay despite the technology advances as you traveled in some countries? I think that as you hit the nail on the head, as food becomes less of a communal thing, it actually has a destructive power across the community. I mean, you just said it like you're not sitting at the family table and that's a problem for the family. There's all the studies. I mean, your kids have a tendency to be smarter and more well-adjusted if you have dinners with the family every night, if that's something that occurs. There are studies that show that if grandma eats dinners with you, then you live longer. In societies where people live, they're called blue zones. We live one in Sardinia. But if you want to live to 100, make sure your grandma lives close to you for whatever reasons. There's multiple reasons why that exists. But if grandma has dinners with you, then that means you might live longer. Your kids might live longer. But yeah, we see not only that, but you also start to treat the people who make your food or produce your food. They get treated worse. You know, it used to be that people would go to the butcher shop and they would see the person who's making the food for them. And there was some respect there. Now. You see the political battles around migrant workers being forced out of the country, depending on the winds, right? And these are the people who feed us. It's insane to try and belittle them. 
so so I think the community gets a little frayed. And then certainly what we've seen around the environment, the reason why the title is On a Fragile Planet is because the way our food production is going, if we don't stop it, if we don't change how we produce food, we're going to be in serious trouble. I was in the Philippines and I was harvesting fish to make patis, which is a Philippine fish sauce. It's one of the foundational ingredients in Philippine cuisine. It's kind of like having ketchup on your table here. And we couldn't catch fish. And we were out on a boat on a banca in the middle of the night. And I asked the, we were out all night. I asked the fisherman, hey, is this rare? And he goes, no, we have to go out further. We have to stay out longer. My dad used to get this much fish. His grandfather used to get this much fish. And it turns out that was a brief moment of fail. But when we did research, it turns out that the South China Sea has lost 70% of its fish in 20 years. A third of the fishing boats in the world are there hammering the ocean. There are about nine countries around there that are all sort of having this territorial dispute over the ocean, in essence, over fish. And we'll see if nothing changes. If these countries are not able to reach across the ocean and say, hey, I know we're having a territorial dispute, but there will be no fish here unless we figure something out, we're going to be in serious trouble. So you're talking about the impact of climate change there, and then you then you bring up the socioeconomic backgrounds, and all these things are happening at the same time, preventing people from either one paying attention to what they need to do to preserve the environment, but also being kind to each other. And the other aspect of that, migrant workers here. I remember COVID when it happened. The essential workers, all of a sudden, the people that were classified essential workers. Where are the farmers, the people in, in supermarkets, the grocery stores, supermarkets, grocery in the stores. factories making our delivery, right? Delivery. <laughs> Even restaurant workers, right? Yes. I think a lot of people would agree that teachers need to make more money and nurses need to make more money. Well, the reality is, is food producers and the people who uh, bring our food to our table need to make more money. They are essential workers. And we certainly saw that during COVID. With your show, have you noticed any been happening within yourself as you've understood more of the racial dynamics, the socioeconomic dynamics and climate change dynamics. I mean, we've, I mean, since 2020, just that now it's been just one thing after another. So I'm curious if you've had an awakening yourself. I had always sort of noticed one of the reasons we wanted to do the show was because during the 2016 election, people were really going after Hispanics, uh, Central Americans. And that's why I wanted to make this documentary about tacos and margaritas. Margaritas are the most consumed cocktail in America. We think of it as a Mexican, but it's actually now, it's, it's a worldwide drink. And tacos are the second most consumed fast food product behind burgers or fries, for burgers and fries. I was like, it is ridiculous to be attacking people who are our family, our neighbors, our friends here in America, when American culture is based to the most important American cultural things are actually Mexican. And so it seemed I wanted to go out and show the hard work that it takes to make a taco and you know go down and work with Oaxacan subsistence farmers harvesting corn to show that we are them, that we are all connected. And food is something that does connect us all. And so the original part of the book was to show that as an American, you may think you did it on your own and you know you're on an island and if you're having a slice of pizza, it took 60 people to make that pizza. So you're not alone unless you don't want to eat. <laughs> That's true. And then along the way, we found that the economic issues and the environmental issues 
that was new to me. I just went in to be like, hey, you know, we need to come together as a people and solve some of these problems communally. And then it just turned into like, once you pull that thread, you see all this other stuff. I love that you're discussing about how you realize that some of the things we take for granted have a lot of hands behind the scenes. And you know, the older we get, we just sort of forget that. It then leads me to this question with you. You're an actor. You've been on you know all the mediums, the, the TV screen, small screen, big screen stage, you know, which would be the most purest if you, if, you, if you want in terms of performance. But another type of performance is hosting. It's, it's, it's wild. I, I was doing research on you. It seemed like when you first started, you had to find your voice hosting. What was that process like? Oh, I feel bad for the crew. The first couple episodes, it was uh, pretty brutal because a lot of hosts come in and they're experts. They're experts. They're a chef. They kind of know what they're talking about. So the reason that I didn't have my sea legs there is because I don't really know. I didn't know what I was doing. Literally, I didn't know how to use these this machine. I didn't know how to fish. What I realized was if I can lean on the experts, that would be my job to be curious, to ask questions, almost to be a surrogate of the audience. And then the experts will really be the tentpole of the show. This person will teach us all how to fish. This person will teach us all how to use a combine. This expert will teach us about the history of fire in South Africa at the beginning of humankind. That was easy for me. So that's just asking questions. It's kind of like what you do, right? You go out there and you ask interesting people, hopefully interesting questions, and then you get a show out of it. And thank goodness for editors, you know. And so no, editors are definitely a great thing. But the secret, though, you, you brought it up, and I always tell people when they're thinking about getting into this, is you have to ask enough open-ended questions that speak to the person's storytelling ability. You say the right thing. Like if I, I'm not an actor, but if I asked you about some sort of acting, you know, you could recall a role you, you, you had or when something really lit a fire into you or working with an actor that brought something into you. And then that leads to another follow-up question, which then the audience, like you said, is a surrogate. And they're like, oh, that's okay. I can do that. I can follow that path. I would have asked that question. Hopefully you're leading everybody along on the path that they want to go down. Yes, exactly. With the show, where is it being broadcast? And the book, you brought the book a bunch of times. Can people just buy it on Amazon? So the book is out. But yeah, it's in all bookstores on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, anywhere where books are sold. The show, we are about to head out on season three. And we are going to be on a new home. <laughs> we were at uh, on History Channel and FYI, which is A&E Networks. And we are negotiating. And it looks like in the new year, we're going to be on a, on a new platform, on a streamer. I know I made you promise to finish this in between the hours, but before I go, I have the last final question. My mission statement is use your difference to make a difference. So David, how do you use your difference to make a difference? One of the plans, and I don't know if it's working like I want it to, but one of the plans about the show was to use a medium, the food and travel show, docu-series, to change who people think are heroes. I really wanted to show the hardworking people who make our meals, and even before that, who harvest our food, produce our food. I wanted to sort of raise them up, shine a light on the work that they do. You know, there's a lot of talk out there in the world right now, billionaires, Elon Musk, like you're just sitting there, you're like, not particularly picking on him, but I will particularly pick on him. You know, he was raised by a billionaire copper family in Australia. And yes, do billionaires begat billionaires? Yes. But I think it's more interesting to see you know, a hardworking family who are 
out on a banca in the Philippines, you know, fishermen, it's the most dangerous job in the world. More fishermen die in the world than any other. I think 25,000 fishermen die per year fishing. And to go out on a boat that they've built themselves, deep sea fishing, to send food not only to the Philippines, but to the EU and to feed the rest of the world. Talk about bravery and people you should really respect. I hope the show's doing that. I hope people turn it on. They think they're just going to watch another old like, oh, I'm going to watch people eat and a little bit of food porn. And there is that, too. We definitely have one of my producers does chef's table. So we we learn from them the beauty of food production. But hopefully people are uh, are learning about heroes that they didn't think about before. There you go. David Mosco using his difference to make a difference by reminding us of the everyday heroes around us. Thank you so much. You said it better. You said it better than me. I <laughs> like this long thing. And you were like, I could have just done that one sentence. That's great. I like the context. It was great. But no, seriously, thank you, though, for taking the time to tell us about your show and your book. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for having me, man. Thank you for having me. Pleasure's mine. Kings, queens, royalty. Till next time, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.